appreciate Gigi summing up sermon series thus far, reminding you that we are talking about Moses. Today comes out of chapter 33, beginning in verse 12. It's printed in your bulletin as well. And it reads, Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The word of God for the people of God. And thanks be to God. There is a legend that I am fond of. I've researched it a time or two over the years, and it looks to be complete hokum. But I like it anyway, um, because as the poet once said, some stories are true, although they never happened. Uh, And I think maybe this is one of those. So depending on which version of the legend you hear, it depends on where it happened in the world. But it's basically around the time of European expansion or colonization or uh, discovery, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to term it. And it goes something like this. I'm going to tell you the version I like best. And it's uh, when the, the great European clipper ships showed up in New Zealand, the Maori tribesmen had never seen ships this size before. And so when the Europeans landed and they left their, sh- their great big clipper ships out on the horizon and they sailed in on the sailboats, uh, the people, the, the native tribesmen, Uh, The Europeans pointed out there, where did you come from? And they pointed out to the ships, but they saw nothing on the horizon. They couldn't see the great big clipper ships. Depending on whether this is told, sometimes it's Columbus who is the one trying to point to the ships. But nevertheless, the natives can't see it. And the reason is, is because they have had no experience with anything that large that should be able to float. And because it's so foreign to them, their minds, their brains, there's nothing there. There can't be. How could that be possible? It looks to be mostly like it's a legend, like it never actually happened that way. But it points out a truth. Sometimes, maybe oftentimes, we have a hard time even seeing 
that which is so foreign to us, that which contradicts our previous experience. There is a legend, similar legend, about this story in Exodus where God is showing up and he covers the face of Moses because no one shall see me and live. So there was a legend. Uh, It looks to also be sort of uh, aggrandized over the years, so who knows how true this is. Uh, Or a house historical, rather, although it is true. Uh, The legend is this, that God is so holy, so great, so powerful, so mighty, so different, so other, so completely foreign to our experience that if we were to behold the full presence of God among us, we would die. Our head would explode or something. Uh, It would just be too much for us to handle. Our mind uh, would go crazy. We would go mad with it. Our spirits would be overwhelmed. Our bodies would not be able to handle it. Uh, And so no one can see God face to face and live. That's the legend. Now, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in it because it's just a couple of chapters ago that the writer goes out of his way to say that Moses and God are speaking, and I quote, face to face like friends. (laughs) So just a couple of chapters ago, Moses and God are sitting down and chatting together as friends, face to face. So is it history? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know whether this legend is accurate or not, but is it true? Yes. Yes, I do believe it is true. We can't know it all when it comes to God. That's impossible. We can't handle it. This story comes as a turning point. For the nation of Israel and for Moses personally. Because before this, everything before this, the story has sort of been on on one track. It's on rails and it's not deterring from it. And it's a very easy line to follow. The people are in Egypt. They're enslaved. God hears them. And so we get on the train and we start. And the whole thing is just coming out of Egypt. That's what the whole story is about. So God sends Moses to be the conductor and we're going to lead the people out of Egypt Uh, But there's roadblocks along the way, so here come the plagues to sort of remove the roadblocks. And they come to the Passover, they escape Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. We think, well, it's impassable, but no, God continues the train tracks right on through the Red Sea. They keep on going, they go all the way to Mount Sinai where God delivers the law, the word of the Lord. And then they come to this point in the chapter right before this where the golden calf comes. And God goes, are you kidding me right now? I should have quit. Maybe I'll just give up. I'll start over with Moses. Moses says, no, 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 let's keep going. They're your people. Don't do this. And then comes this story. And then where does it go from here? It's a little bit fuzzier on the after. When you're coming out of Egypt, there's one purpose. We're getting out of Egypt. We're going to be exterminated otherwise. And so it's a very easy trajectory. But now, I don't know. It's a little harder to fathom. It's really easy when all, all the rally cry we need is Egypt is evil, right? Everyone gets behind that and you're all on the same page. But now you're going into, we're out of Egypt. We're free. So now what? Now what do we do? I'm reminded of teenagers who spend five years in their parents' house saying, you know what? I cannot wait to get out from under this roof. And so they get out. They move in, and they look around their apartment and go, well, now what do I do? (laughs) Now that you have this freedom, now what are you going to do with it? And they don't know. They just sit there. I guess I'll watch Netflix all night. There's a problem here. 
And, and I think it's the reason why we don't pay much attention to this passage usually. And it's that we don't like mysteries. We don't. Maybe you, maybe you read mystery novels and maybe you like to watch, I don't know, Poirot or things like that on TV or, or, or mystery movie, whodunits, that sort of thing. And so you, maybe you're thinking to yourself, no, I do like mystery. Actually, it's scientifically proven that we don't. <laughs> so there was an experiment done where the researchers uh, gave these stories, little short stories to uh, groups, and they would come in, they would read the story, and they would rate how much they enjoyed it. So in the control group, they just read it. They read the story, do you like it or not? And they would rate it. You know, I like this about it, I didn't like this, that sort of thing. And then in the other group, the, the researcher, the person who was giving them the story, accidentally spilled the beans on what was coming in the story. You know what they found? Everybody liked the story better when they, found, when they knew it was coming. When the mystery was out of it, then they could sit back and enjoy the story. And they enjoyed it more because they knew how it was all going to turn out in the end. They actually rated it higher. The same stories, they rated it higher. We don't actually enjoy mystery because we have a deep and abiding fear of the unknown. That's why tragedies, like the ones that have been sweeping through our nation, natural disasters, gun violence, all these things, that's, why, that's part of the reason. Part of it is it's just a tragic thing that human life is lost. The other part is we did not see it coming. And that disturbs us greatly when we can't see these things coming, when we don't know what is about to happen. That's really why we're afraid of the dark and why we don't like to be in great big crowds or, or why we uh, are afraid of people who don't look like us or, or speak a different language or have a different culture than we do. And the real reason is not because we hate those things, it's because we don't know. The reason why I'm scared of the dark is because I don't know what's in the dark. And if I turn the light on, then I can see the, the invisible coffee table there and not bark my shin on in the middle of the night. The reason why we're afraid of crowds is because you get that many people together and statistically you don't know if there might be a dangerous person in it or not. The reason why we're afraid of people who don't look like us or talk like us or think like us is because we don't know what they're actually thinking. We don't know what they're going to do and it scares us. That unpredictability. What we really fear is the unknown. That's what Moses fears too. Think about it this way. Let's say you're, you're having a, a vote, maybe on something a little more consequential than pumpkin pie. And one person says, well, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. Who knows? We don't know why bad things happen, especially to good people. We just don't know. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. There's no way of knowing the future. And so we need to... I don't know what we need to do to stop bad things from happening. I don't know where we need to go from here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to move forward. And we think to ourselves, well, what good are you? (laughs) If you don't know anything, what use are you? And then someone else comes in and they come in all confidence and they say, I know exactly why bad things happen. And it happens because of those people over there. And, and, And this terrible thing will continue to happen. I'm telling you, if we don't do something about those people, then there's going to be this great, tremendous tragedy. And so I've got a five point plan on how we can prevent those people from ruining it for the rest of us. And we think to ourselves, man, that's a good leader, huh? The only problem is, B is a liar. And the first person is right. Because we can't. We can't know the future. We can't know everything. There is mystery in our world. There's mystery in the God that we worship and we proclaim our praise to. 
And there is mystery in our life that we live with God. And that is the truth. The truth is, is that Christianity and a walk in faith is fairly easy at the outset because we know where we're going. Everything is sort of predetermined. It's on rails at that point. We know it. We can recite it by heart. You need to repent of all the things that you've done wrong. You need to give your life over to God and ask for forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And when you pray and you're forgiven and you go through the outward symbol of the inward reality of what's going on, you pass through the baptismal waters, then maybe you join a church and you join a Sunday school class and you get on a, on a, on a service committee and you do your three years on deacons and then what? It's fuzzier after that. What do you do for the next 40, 50, 60, 80 years of your Christian life? It's a little fuzzier. And that gives us some discomfort. And that's what Moses is feeling. He's uncomfortable because he doesn't know what's coming next. Where is it going from here? And God doesn't give him the details. So beginning in verse 12, what Moses says is, you told me to bring them out here, but I still have a whole lot of questions. Who's, who's with me? Who's going to be with me on this thing? Because the whole nation is going crazy right now. What's the plan that you have for your people? Fill me in, because I want to know. I would like to know how to get there. In, uh, in other words, translation, he's saying, please, spoil the story for me. I would love to know how this ends. I really need to know. And God's response is, I'm with you. I'm here with you. So be at peace. Can you take it easy? Note that he still does not give him the plan. He doesn't tell him what's coming. He says, I'm with you, so be at peace. And Moses says, well, that's good, because if you don't come with us, then I'm not going either. (laughs) Which is uh, clever and sweet and all of these things. But maybe it's exactly why God has such a special relationship with Moses. Because he hits that delicate balance of, I'm going to do something. If I see an injustice, I want to do something about it. But also... If God's not in it, I'm not going. It's a dependence on God, and maybe that, that balance, the, those two things held in tension, is exactly why Moses has such a special relationship with God. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. But I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. God says, I'm still with you, and I know you, and you're good. And that's it. That's all he says. And Moses says those words, Show me your glory, which is a very odd request indeed. What does that even mean? Show me your glory. God's response makes a little bit of sense out of it. God says, okay, I will. And I'm going to give you everything that I got. I'm going to bring everything that I am before you. I'm going to speak my unpronounceable name in your presence. All of who I am, my essence, will be laid bare for all of nature to see. And you will, you will see everything, but you can't. You can't see it because no one can see all of me and walk away from it. They would kill you. But I tell you what I'll do. There's a little crack in the rock over there. I'll smush you in there. I'll cover you up with my hand. So it doesn't overwhelm you. And then when I go by, I'm going to let you see where I've just been. I'll let you see my back. This is not about faces or backs or whether God has a hand or not. Or legends or anything like that. It's about the future. It's about the future and the past. Moses wants to know the future. He wants to know what's coming next. And God says, you just can't. You can't know that 
there's no way to know the future and I'm not going to tell you. There's no way for me to express to you all that I have in store. It would be too much and you would die from it. But I want you to remember something. I want you to see my back. I want you to remember what I have done already. Remember the past. You can't see where I'm going, but I want you to remember where I've been. It's not about the glory, the Shekinah, the the heaviness. It's not about the ineffable name. It's about mystery. He still doesn't get a road map, but he gets a reminder that this God is the one who brought them out of Egypt. This God is the one who's been performing the exodus and will continue to do so. He reminds them of two things. God saved Israel. And number two, I am with you. I am with you. So God saved Israel and God is with Moses. And those two things alone are so powerful. He doesn't get the roadmap. He doesn't know where it's all going. Moses doesn't know about Jericho, which is still to come. He doesn't know about the prophet Deborah and the way she overthrows an army. He doesn't know about the prophet Samuel or the king that he anoints, King David, or the temple that David's son will build, or the divided kingdom after Solomon, or the exile into Babylon, or the return. Moses doesn't know any of that. He doesn't know about God's plan for Bethlehem, or the Jordan River, or wandering around in Galilee, or the Garden of Gethsemane, or Calvary, or the Resurrection Garden three days later. Moses doesn't know. He doesn't know about Pentecost, or Peter, or Paul, or Augustine, or Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., or you, or me. Moses doesn't know about any of this. He is not told the plan. But what he is told is that God saves. He has saved you, and God is with you. And that is good enough news. It may not be the future, but that's what he needed to know. So I don't know about you, but I came with questions today. I came with uncertainty and worry in my heart. Because I don't know how it's going to work out with this stalemate with North Korea. I don't know if we're ever going to get over our political divisions in our country. I don't know about even like the health concerns that I have in my own family. I don't know about what's going on with the climate. It seems like it's getting worse all the time. I don't know how the next generations are going to turn out. And I'm uh, concerned about the state of the church in the next 20 years. Not our church in particular, but the church in America. What's it going to look like in 20 years? I don't know. I think about it. I worry about it. But we don't know. And the truth is, we can't know. Because it's a mystery. There is mystery in this. But what we do know is this. God has saved us from our bondage to sin. That slavery that we put ourselves into by trying to chase our own pleasures and desires, that selfishness, and Jesus parts the water so that we can have a new life on the other side of it. God saved us from ourselves if nothing else. And the second thing that we know is that God is still with us. Jesus is about to um, ascend back into heaven. He's been resurrected and he's spent some time with these disciples instructing them. And, And they're asking, well, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? And do you know what Jesus says? He doesn't tell them the game plan about how there's going to be a church in Oak Ridge in another 2,000 years. 
As he's ascending into heaven, he says, I will be with you always. Jesus is still with us, and that's what we know. Jesus is still with us. So whatever happens, whatever comes, whatever mysteries are coming for us, we can know that the God who saves us is still at our side, is still with us. I want to tell you one more legend. It's about after this story. Moses comes down off of this mountain. He's seen the glory of the Lord, or at least the backside of it. And he comes down, and the scriptures say that his face is shining. It's like the sun, and people can't even bear to look at it. And so they make him put on a veil because they're terrified of what he looks like. He's shining because of what the Lord has done for him. God's presence was clear, and, and I like to believe that the, the assurance that the God who saved him will still be with him causes him to glow in this unearthly way. Everyone is anxious nowadays. Everyone. We carry anxiety around with us like an old friend, but we can help you and I because we have the great gift of seeing God's glory. We see what Moses sees, that God saves us, that God is still with us. And so what is there to fear? That confidence, that memory, that knowledge of where God has been can cause us to shine. And then people will eventually wonder, how? How in the world are you smiling today? How do you laugh in a month like this? How do you love? How do you continue to serve others? How do you glow the way that you do? And you can tell them exactly what you have seen. God brought me out of where I was. He made a way for me to live. God is with me, and I live my life with God. And then you can tell them 